1: So hello, everyone. I'm Paul castaneda I'm an associate professor in the Department of Agricultural and Applied Economics. And uh, today, we're very happy to have uh, Vladimir Gimpleson here uh, to give a talk. Um, uh, Vladimir is uh, our new uh, professor of practice as part of the Wisconsin-Russia project. And uh, he spent many years at the Higher School of Economics as uh, director of the Center for Labor Market Studies. Um, he's also a, a fellow of the IZA, uh, which is a w- well known uh, organi- research organization um, that studies uh, uh, the labor market. And, and in general, he's an expert on the Russian labor market. Wr- he wrote uh, one of the classic references on the uh, Russian labor market and is widely published in uh, many journals uh, that, that many of you read Slavic Review, Economics of Transition. Um, uh, general comparative economics, uh, economics and politics, and so on. Uh, so we're very lucky to have Vladimir here on campus, and he's going to be uh, talking to us about the Russian labor market story, deciphering the puzzles, which he's very good at raising uh, these puzzles in the transition. And that's one of, it's always a joy to, to learn these new puzzles. Uh,
2: uh, thank you very much, Paul, for... Presentation. Thank you very much all for coming. Thank you, Krika, Krika for uh, giving me floor for this lecture. Um, yeah, I'm a labor economist, but with quite broad interests, and uh, uh, I have published not only in economic journals, but political science and sociology as well. And uh, I have been... Exp- Uh, studying various labor market issues, it's quite broad area and what I'm going to present today, this is not a particular paper, not a particular research, but a kind of uh, synthetic vision on this and uh, uh, I can talk about many puzzles and what I mean as puzzles, these are some Evidence, vi- empirical evidence, that goes against theoretical expectations and against uh, empirical evidence from other countries. So it's neither empirical stylized fact nor what theory uh, can can suggest, and we can expect it. Um, I uh, decided to focus on three uh, what I call puzzles um, because uh, no, it, I have no time to uh, to talk more. But uh, these three puzzles seem to be interrelated. Um, yeah, uh, of course, uh, given the current situation, uh, would be probably. more interesting to talk about implications of the war for the Russian labor market and there are many also interesting and important questions in this regard but so far we have quite little data for uh, more or less serious analysis so uh, probably I will have uh, to talk on this a little bit later when more evidence will come um, three old yeah. puzzles The first puzzle is Why does unemployment remain so low When the economy slides into deep recession And uh, this is an old puzzle First it was raised in early uh, 1919 so Soon after the transition started And still it's, uh, it's For many observers this is a puzzle uh, the second is do wages grow over this life cycle because all theories they say economic theories they say that uh, when people get more ins- experienced uh, they uh, have higher wages uh, than they had in the beginning uh, and this relates to generation and utilization of the human capital and uh, Russian case Uh, at least on the surface doesn't look canonical and finally the third uh, puzzle is why is the Russian productivity so low uh, when the human capital is considered so abundant and if you look at uh, uh, education attainment rates education enrollment rates Russia uh, is a kind of outlier so these are three, uh, three puzzles I, uh, if time allows, I would go through all of that and in the end, I would try you know, to link them uh, together. Uh, so the first is, why does unemployment always remain so low? This is the old story, as I said. And uh, when the transition started, uh, GDP collapsed, uh, wages collapsed, productivity collapsed, everything collapsed. Uh, but unemployment remained well, uh, relatively, uh, relatively, relatively uh, good, uh, good, good rate. And, uh, and then Russia um, went through many crises, many recessions, uh, very deep recessions. And every time when recession comes, crisis comes. many observes, oh, now we will have high unemployment, and nothing happens. So it's a kind of systemic reaction. And if this is systemic reaction, uh, probably there are systemic explanations why it works in this way and uh, not in a different way. Uh, So uh, usually, as we know, wages are downward rigid. Uh, Explanations for this fact are different but this is considered at least in labor economics as a stylized fact uh, even uh, mean wages can go up because even the distribution uh, lower part of the distribution worker, low paid workers are fired it means that the mean goes up uh, but employment is uh, so at, uh, at best semi-flexible and very often it's non-flexible and it meant it, it cannot react to shocks. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, it But and it, it's semi-flexible or f- flexible. Uh, in the United States or Anglo-Saxon, currently it's flexible. In Europe, it's less flexible. But it can react to shocks. This lacks, but it can react. Uh, and uh, employment protection legislation is strict. Uh, Um, hit even stronger and labor slack translates into unemployment and we we can see it when shocks arrive and uh, at this picture at this slide there are two cases this case is Spain and this case is Finland and both cases relate to 2008 crisis and I chose these two particular cases because in these two countries in 2008 uh, GDP I held by 8.5% this was exactly as uh, Russia had and we see that uh, Spanish employment it collapsed GDP went down and Spanish earnings mean earnings go up so for earnings no crisis and absolutely the same is in Finland and uh, this is given the GDP have, uh, fall is about 8-9% and this is the Russian case uh, BC crisis 92, 94, 98 2008 uh, 15 after uh, crisis uh, accession of Crimea uh, annexion of Crimea And then 2020, this is COVID for 22, uh, uh, no data yet, but it will be the same. Uh, This is GDP, we see Uh, it's down, and it goes up and down, a little bit up. And this is wage. And uh, the adjustment goes through wage. So employment market adjustment, it uh, goes in all cases through the uh, price adjustment on the price side. Uh, and uh, this is lo- this looks absolutely um, non-canonical. And if for example, to show this picture uh, let's to a standard labor economist and uh, to hide labels and to say what do you think? Uh, what is <laughs> what and probably people could just um, yeah. uh, uh, confuse uh, confuse uh, curves uh, yeah uh, so we see in all cases when uh, negative shocks and when positive shock employment remains stained. What this red line this is employment almost no change. No, some major shocks are absorbed through labor costs That's, uh, that's what we see um, and Then uh, we uh, need to think about explanations And there have been uh, various explanations The first explanation, it was raised uh, even in the beginning That uh, poor statistical measurement Unemployment is measured in the wrong way. Uh, Some uh, unemployment should be considered unemployment, but it is not, and so on and so on. So look at at, uh, uh, measurement, and probably we underestimate unemployment, and this is not the case. We had uh, papers many years ago with uh, John Earl, Hartmut Lehmann, and a few other uh, guys. Uh, comparing different transition countries, Romania, Estonia, and Russia, looking at various measures of uh, underutilization of labor. Uh, And we applied uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, family of uh, measures. And we saw that the Russian uh, measurement was quite robust. So it's not a good explanation. Then of course, uh, we can look at low participation with the people Go from employment not into unemployment, but from labor market at all, it also doesn't work. Some people say, okay, this is special culture and policy of paternalism. People are low mobile, so they are like uh, attached uh, firmly to uh, safe jobs, and uh, they tolerate whatever losses they are uh, because they have no option. This is also not. I uh, saw so because uh, labor turnover is very high. So probably migration across regions is uh, relatively low, but relatively low. It is not low. Uh, but uh, job-to-job mobility is high. And there are probably a few countries uh, in uh, industrialized world where uh, labor mobility is higher than Russia. Yeah. And, uh, uh, many years ago, Lemon and they wrote a paper that was Tenure That Shook the World. Uh, tenure, uh, duration of working uh, at the same employer, is, is a measure of stabi- uh, mobility, stability, so it's uh, very high mobility. In the UK, it's higher. In the US, it's higher. But the UK is comparable to Russia in this sense. So it's not uh, not enough recession. Something but we see there were different wishes, and even very deep ones and uh, we see the same story. So, but uh, my position is I don't believe in this explanation. Uh, so, so a little bit of everything can happen, but my explanation is mostly institutional. Uh, for, uh, for, for, for labor market to work uh, persistently the same way, probably we need a particular institutional framework uh, which allows for two things. First, to keep employment relatively stable and to low wages go up and down freely. And uh, what we need for that? For need, we need for this that, uh, that on the employment side Uh, Firing cost should be very high. So for employers to fire uh, people should be costly. Of course, to fire uh, one by one, it's easy. But to go for mass dismissal is costly. And the labor court is structured exactly in the same way. So it it makes firing costs high. Firms avoid mass layoffs, not just because of of, uh, labor code but also because of administrative Mm -hmm. interventions. Um, uh, Of course, uh, high labor turnover and weak enforcement give some room for adjustment, uh, but uh, on the employment side, uh, concerning firms, we see that uh, there are institutional breaks on Mass reallocations. On uh, wage side, we also see. Yeah. So
3: uh, is that? I mean, you know, so uh, uh, stylized fact: U.S. has very limited uh, cost of yeah, yeah, yeah. Europe has high ones. Like, uh, is there a quantitative measure of where Russia oh, yeah. is yeah. in those yeah. scales and yeah. just where how stringent are the?
2: Uh, close to Portugal.
3: Close to Portugal.
2: Uh, yeah. And in Europe, uh, Portugal is one of the most rigid countries in Turkey. There's a number of indices, number of measurements, World Bank measurement, OECD measurement. There are a few other measurements. Uh, So if you for example, use OECD scale, uh, it's close to Portugal. Uh, So it's, uh, uh, of course, uh, within this, uh, uh, this index has sub-indexes. And the key, the key part of this measurement is how strict is uh, our uh, regulations concerning mass, mass dismissals. Yeah. Mass dismissals. So, so it's not a severance pay issue, it's more It's like se- not, it's, it's severance pay, how many months you, as <laughs> employer, you need to for um, uh, to Advance, yes. uh, for severance pay and oh, uh, for uh, to say workers that they are fired. Yeah. Um, so altogether, this will be five to six months, uh, and uh, plus there are, of course administrative costs and so on. So it's costly. It's costly. On the wage uh, side. Uh, institutions should be for uh, for 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 wage, for labor market adjusting in this way. Should be uh, uh, should be designed in, in the following way. On the one hand, we need very 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 low wage floor, so wage can go down very low. So these are basically two major institutions: uh, minimum wage. But even more importantly, this is unemployment benefits because minimum wage, if you have informality, there are enforcement issues, but uh, in terms of uh, unemployment benefits, they work uh, They work uh, directly on your behavior. If, for example, I cannot, I, I don't have work, I don't have job, uh, I cannot find, um, uh, I, I cannot, uh, uh, I, I have no, I, I don't have job, but if unemployment benefit allows me to live on that, I would go. If not, I will take any job available, and in the country with large informalities it's not easy. So low wage floor, and uh, then wages should also go up freely, and uh, this is exactly how Russian wage setting is arranged. So. Uh, there is fixed part of the wage tariff based or contract based plus uh, premiums, bonuses various types of supplements and this variable part on average makes 30% but in some occupations in some industries it can be 80% and even more uh, so for, uh, for employers, it's very easy. So if they have problems, financial stress, they don't fire people because this is costly. They just take away all these bonuses. So if uh, wage is linked uh, somehow to performance or to revenue stream uh, and uh, this variable part, it works like automatic shock absorber. Something like this we can find in Japan actually. Probably not now, but some time ago. So that's uh, basically the framework. So uh, this institutional framework, when you look at this, oh, there's minimum wage, there are unemployment benefits, uh, there's employment, protection. it's standard. But when we go into it, we see it's standard, but it's configured in a bit non-standard way. And the same story is for all CIS countries. It's not for us. And even uh, not just for, I will, I will tell uh, more about that. So uh, this is how these uh, supporting institutions work. This is uh, more or less what I already um, tried to explain. Uh, this is about wages, how they work. Um, and one, uh, f- this system has also one more component. This is large segment of easily absorbing jobs. What are these? This is informal jobs, and these are, I call it free entry occupations. So for example, what is this? Uh, for men, this is um, a taxi driver. So if for example, in Moscow, someone lost job and cannot find, and he or she has a driving license, uh, can go for taxi. And uh, now in Moscow, and St. Petersburg, there are many, many taxis everywhere. And it's extremely flexible occupation. People go in, go out. For women, uh, option like this is uh, to go work for a retail, store, a large retail. Store. And they are everywhere in large cities and uh, together, uh, People working in retail and uh, as uh, just salesperson or cashiers, and plus uh, taxi drivers. These two occupations uh, provide fourteen percent of the total employment. So seven percent and seven percent. So these are free entry occupations. Uh, someone lost job uh, and. Unemployment benefits is very low. It means that no way, uh, no no time to wait to wait, take whatever available, and it allows for uh, full employment, but very large segment of very low-paid, uh, bad jobs. Uh, that's uh, how. It can work, and um, in many CIS countries, we see more or less the same story. And not just in the CIS countries; there are papers on uh, Latin American countries uh, um, uh, exploring the market effects of 2009-89 uh, economic crisis. It's one of these papers is called "Fewer Jobs or Smaller Paycheck," so it's to some extent typical for many countries uh, with uh, with weak institutions, with weak labor market institutions. Yeah, um, and uh, interestingly, that when the COVID came, many European countries they also avoided avoided uh, avoided uh, mass dismissals. And we see that uh, much of this, uh, of course, not to uh, the extent as we have it here, but much of the uh, adjustment mm-hmm. was on the, um, was on the um, uh, price side. So n- uh, summing up this, all micro shocks are absorbed in similar way. Even large GDP falls are absorbed, but doesn't, don't cause a significant employment change. Aggregate employment is surprisingly stable. Wages are super reactive and flexible. Uh, There's uh, link to performance allowing for wage drift Um, and uh, explanations, institutionals and large fraction of absorbing jobs in uh, total employment. Is it a special model? And it, we should say it's something Mm, absolutely atypical. I wouldn't say no. Uh, and in uh, this slide, this is a long citation from one of the ILO documents. ILO, International Labor Office, uh, responsible for setting uh, standards for measurement of labor employment standards. And, and they say in developing countries, unemployment is, devi- defined, is defined conventionally tends to be low, and it is often lower than in many industrial countries. When social protection is misery or absent and vacancies are scarce, most people are ready to take any job that is available to create their own employment. So basically, that's what we have. Uh, So uh, we see it in Russia, but it's much more uh, general phenomena and usually people working on advanced countries they don't see it but when we move to uh, to countries with uh, weaker institutions it can be not a puzzle it can be more or less a standard life Uh, that's uh yeah of course there is a question how these institutions how did these institutions evolve? And uh, it's a special probably uh, question, but uh, uh, there was uh, to some extent historical legacy uh, coming from the Soviet Union, from that and those institutions. Plus uh, there was persistent fear of unemployment on the side of workers and on the side of uh, bureaucrats and political constraints for reforms. Uh, and uh, all this created bias towards status quo. So the, uh, the country, the Russian land market, has been living with this since the beginning of 90s. So uh, you have questions? mean, uh, okay, so I,
3: do you want to take questions one puzzle at a time, or do you want to wait oh, to well, Sure, well, so, so what about wage arrears? So, you know, I, and I realize that they were kind of a phenomenon mainly in the 90s and the early 2000s, but, but that seems like there's no historical precedent for a society where it became such a common practice for employers just not to pay their employees for months and, then, and by the time they paid... For years. Yes, yes, and, and, and so so that's... You can't attribute that to historical legacy. No, it's But not. that certainly, you know, Boost up the employment rate because these people. They, so, so the question of wage is sort of a two-sided question. Like, I guess, it, I guess the question is like, why do employees in Russia come to accept wage arrears and not quit those jobs and go get another job
2: where they will actually get paid? Um, no, uh, first uh, mainly, did, but some uh, they don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, People workers uh, working at a firm at an uh, the enterprise they are not paid for, but employers say, "Don't worry, we will pay you next month." Next month comes, they get something, but employers don't worry. We promise, everything will be repaid, and people uh, people hold with this uh, uh, permanent. Uh, uh, promises, uh, and it's very difficult for them to say, okay, if but if, because if they leave, if they quit, they lose. They will be not uh, repaid, and uh, so that actually binds them even tighter. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. To some yeah I have a
0: follow-up question because there's also the phenomenon in that period of people who were not being paid but also not going to work. There were a lot of people who oh, were able yeah. to stay home. Yeah. Sure. And they would uh, as someone who was doing research in large industrial enterprises during this period, they were, you know, still very tied to a lot of times their parents or their grandparents have worked at these at these big factories. So they would have still been counted as employed. Right? Yeah. But yeah. they're actually yeah. not employed. Uh, so you know, uh, I mean I, I have a lot of trouble with that straight line of unemployment. Um, when we know that there was such, such, such tremendous dislocation during the 90s.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, very often people, for example, usually, most most uh, standard case was that people, for example, worked just a few hours. Not just, or uh, they were on administrative leave for months. Uh, that's how to come. Of course, that's, uh, yeah. but, but. then they're
0: still counted as employed. Uh, but. Uh, I mean, I, did, I, I, during that period, people, at least as far as, again, my anecdotal impression, but I've went to a lot of factories, and people that were even that in that status, or people that actually had left, they didn't go to register to be unemployed.
2: No, I am talk- not talking about registration.
0: But how do you count the unemployed? Uh, how, What's your how
2: unemployment, how unemployment is usually measured through labor force service, like in the United States, like in Europe, like everywhere. It's not, uh, there are two measures of unemployment. One is uh, claimant based. I go to employment office, I say, okay, I have no job, please help me, find, help me to find a job. I'm registered, I can get benefit or. Even That's a very small group of people yeah, in Russia. Yeah, in <laughs> Russia, this is very small group of people. But a- another measure which is comparable o- o- across countries, this is survey-based. Uh, in Europe, it's called uh, labor force survey. In the United States, it's called the current population survey. Uh, people, households are surveyed. And based on the responses, they are counted as employed or unemployed. Uh, usually to be counted as unemployed uh, within this survey framework they have to answer three questions first uh, do you have job or have no job if you don't have a job are you looking for a job and if you uh, are looking for a job, have no job looking for a job are you ready to start working within two weeks but or that
0: doesn't Take into account the people who have a job but aren't going to yeah. work. Th- therefore
2: they cannot be counted as unemployed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. But also there is a difference, for example, in counting un- unemployed people in the United States or uh, in Europe. So, for example, um, uh, there's in Europe there is no such thing like recall unemployed. Recall unemployment. Uh, but uh, for example in the united states recall imp- uh, those who are uh, temporarily fired but with promises uh, to come back they are counted uh, as unemployed in europe they are not
3: yeah so but i guess the large issue is like okay so so like in a formal technical measurement says yeah. sure there's unemployment was stable in russia but that seems to mask What's really going on in the labor market? Like we care about unemployment because it's a measure general of, of poverty, of misery, and so forth. And that flat line creates what seems to us a misleading impression that everything was fine and stable in Russia no, no, throughout this period.
2: So no, so no, 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 no. Uh, look, if for example a person has uh, temperature uh, normal temperature, does it guarantee that he is the most healthy in the world? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, 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 this is just one of the indicators, and I said that. The price is uh, poverty, working poverty, that huge segment of very bad jobs, very low productive jobs, very uh, low paying jobs. So this is not the indicator that everything is good. I think it would be better if people stay unemployed, get uh, normal benefit, and look for better jobs. I would think it would be much healthier situation. So it's, uh, it's not, in, there's in no way this is not an indication that labor market is healthy. It's just, uh, well, uh, people have uh, various illnesses. So uh, doesn't have this particular illness, it doesn't mean that uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm healthy and happy. <laughs> I may have many other, much worse. So
0: that's uh,
3: but questioning whether they have the illness. right, Chad? Well, mm-hmm. the, the, right. I mean, maybe the thermometer is bad. So, so I guess I mean, it's it's kind of a <laughs> philosophical question. Like, what, what, do, what? I mean, does it matter if people have a job on paper, or, or does it matter? We I mean, we understand that you know. So, you know, when there's a crisis. You have to either adjust cost, wages, or employment. Right. That there's no sort of in between. And so, Russia, they adjust wages. Okay, get that, but isn't, it, I, I guess, like, what's the larger issue at stake for economists when they're studying unemployment? Like, isn't, is this, you know, you're, so you're not saying that everything's fine with respect, but but
2: it becomes sort of a, no, for me, for example, this means that if you, uh, the key issue is not to look at unemployment, it's key issue to look at. Uh, at, at, employment, mm-hmm. at employment at composition of employment the composition of jobs mm-hmm. uh, to look at structural things uh, how, how this employment functions how it's uh, how is it, uh, what we have inside because to have, to have employment it doesn't mean to have good incomes and to have healthy and uh, uh, wealthy life uh, nothing at all and you know that in developing countries everyone works because there is no protection, and uh, but people are poor, many. And if I work two hours a week, I don't know uh, 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 giving, uh, uh, helping uh, someone uh, in the household or uh, maintaining, uh, repairing the car or whatever according to formal definitions this is employment even it's very short and very bad but then the question is uh, what are earnings what are incomes generated with this employment that's uh, for me the key issue because, uh, uh, because uh, uh, it's uh, now more or less uh, it becomes more or less conventional that just to look at standard uh, unemployment uh, measures uh, is uh, not uh, uh, the best indication uh, of labor slack. So I- I'm not saying that uh, this is a great thing. No, I'm saying that the disease is different, different, and when people, uh, people focus on that, I-, I have been now in discussion with there is uh, a guy, Alex Hoki, he's a brilliant uh, economist at UCLA, uh, young guy, he's Russian, uh, he last year got um, uh, 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 Clark's medal uh, in economics, and Clark's medalist very often became Nobel Prize winner, so he's absolutely great uh, macroeconomist. And uh, he looks at the situation. Why is there no unemployment? Why is there? It should be. But uh, that's only one, one, only one sort of diseases. What can uh, you see? We see only. So the the next puzzle is about how wages grow over experience, over or over age. They are and usually they do and uh, this monotonous growth of wages over the life cycle is one of the most robust findings in labor economics uh, there are a few theories which explain that they provide different explanations but they don't dispute the fact this is the theory of human capital search and matching theory uh, yeah, uh, for example uh, and how wages uh, change over the life cycle uh, matters for many policy issues. Uh, it matters for productivity, for consumption, for savings, for uh, training policy, for retirement, and has many, many implications. Uh, and also this profile, it reflects how the human capital is generated over the life cycle and how it's utilized. And uh, total length of post-schooling employment. This is a proxy for general human capital accumulated uh, when people work. And we look at wage experience profiles, how wages change, and how the human capital is accumulated over the life cycle. And this is conventional picture taken from one of the World Bank papers. And we see this is. Uh, uh, for the united this is the United States, uh, we see uh, uh, steep growth uh, first twenty years of experience and then flatter growth but still uh, this is uh, for mean for all developed countries and these are developing countries. Uh, the lowest is uh, Bangladesh and this is some for right it's some for you know, developing countries so. Uh, they both are uh, upwards sloping uh, small decline in the end is because uh, this is based on monthly data If monthly monthly earnings if you take uh, annual, not annual yearly wage, yearly, uh, hourly wage there will be no decline. So this is more or less a stylized fact. Uh, it goes for many years. There are many, many, many uh, studies uh, conducted in many countries. We see almost everywhere there. Uh, probably steepness can be different if uh, different uh, data sets are used, but basically that's uh, what we get everywhere. And this is the Russian case. And um, this is for higher for people with higher education and this is for people without higher education. So what we have uh, grows up to 15-19 years of experience but it's still flat like in developing countries. Uh, and then decline. And uh, for people with uh, 35, 39 years of experience, so close to the end of the career, they have almost zero uh, premium relative to entrance. And uh, this is absolutely non-conventional. Absolutely non-conventional. So, first, early peak, steep decline, and flat. Uh, how to explain that? Uh, and uh, this has, uh, as I said, many implications. And the question is how human capital is generated, how it's utilized, and so on. Um, and uh, uh, my picture is use one particular uh, set of data, but I can present uh, pictures uh, of the same sort using completely different sort uh, sets of data, various sets of data, and they all will be like this. So uh, various data sources produce absolutely the same results. Wages rise, right, but peak early, decline steeply. The profile is flat. How to explain? The problem is that when we look at whatever over age or experience, so they are correlated, we confuse different things. Because those who are older, they belong to different generations than those who are younger. And uh, uh, a cohort effect can be completely different than uh, experience or uh, age effect. So this is called APC problem uh, because age, time period, and cohorts, they make an identity absolutely collinear, and we cannot say what's the effect of co- uh, cohort or the age experience. Or the effect. We need to disentangle these three yeah. factors, and uh, t- purely technically, it's impossible. So we need some identifying assumptions. If uh, as uh, Accepting them, we can think how we can do. Uh, and this is non trivial task. And uh, very often people just uh, go ahead, uh, not bothering themselves with this but of course many think on this it's a well known problem. Um, So uh, uh, there are a few approaches how to disentangle these things and we are following uh, the idea suggested by Heckman, Lochner and Tabor in one of their older papers. Uh, but this was just suggestion, uh, was idea. But then it was uh, realized in the paper by Lagakos and uh, co-authors, published in Journal of Political Economy. And the assumption, which comes from uh, the Heckman's paper, is very simple and intuitively quite, uh, quite clear. Uh, and it comes from the theory of human capital, that the period of return to investment is short, there's there are no incentives to invest so it means that uh, when people are close to say retirement age they stop investing in their human capital it means that effect of cohort effect of experience uh, within this short period will be close to you so using this we can uh, design uh, synthetic panels when we have many many cross-section data and then to disentangle each of these uh, effects and uh, yeah Uh, what is in this ideology experience experience it's it, it reflects accumulation of the human capital over the working so when I work, I learn by doing, I go through on the job training. I learn, I learn, I learn, I invest in this learning. I, I invest part of my time uh, in, lear- in learning. And this is uh, what happens uh, this individual that's my repsilist individual. But cohort effect relates not to just to me, it relates to all people who entered uh, who were born at the same time as me uh, attended the school at the same time as I did entered the labor market at the same time so it's uh, it relates to cohort it's cohort so education is a type of education curricula teaching style they are cohort related phenomena Uh, uh, conditions uh, in the labor market at the time of my entry so this is the cohort related phenomenon. So it happens with generations. And time is general economic and social trend. Uh, so when we do this, uh, we get the pictures like this. So this is experience. So it's absolutely standard picture. People learn over their experience, over their working life, and their wages, they go up. Yeah. Absolutely as yeah. the first picture I shown, by, shown for uh, for, uh, for developed and developing countries. And this is the cohort technique. So it goes exactly in the opposite. So uh, I mm-hmm. gain uh, in wages because I'm more experienced but I lose because I belong to generation which was lucky enough to uh, be born and to enter, uh, unlucky enough or lucky enough, it depends on uh, who looks uh, how, how it looks at this in particular. And uh, this is a time trend, and if we <coughs> compare it with GDP growth over the period starting from 2000, we will see that it's very close very uh, fast growth till 2008 since the crisis and then stagnation and this is probably statistically difference probably statistically uh, low significance so it will be stagnation Uh, so uh, so we get uh, we get uh, we get uh, a new we get a new picture of who are losers and who are winners and we see that older generations they are but when we take these and we take this and say that out each other we get absolutely non-conventional profile I started with. Um, that's mm, that's as uh, a uh, story with, uh, with this decomposition Uh, We started, uh, we are thinking now uh, with Paul and with my co-author colleague uh, to expand this work on all transition countries, first of all, Central and Eastern European countries, probably taking on uh, on board a few post-Soviet countries like Armenia, uh, Kyrgyzstan, depending on what kind of data we have because it's very, demanding in terms, of, in terms of data we need not just watch uh, samples we need many samples cross sections Yeah, but if we, uh, our preliminary stuff shows that absolutely the same stories with all transition countries the same that will, will be with Baltics, with Poland with Hungary, with Czech, with Slovak of course uh, the size of uh, these can will be different but when we look at profile, first cross-section, it's very strange, early peak, second decline. But when we decompose, we get a uh, standard picture. Um, yeah, so uh, this is, uh, this is what has happened with, uh, with uh, human capital uh, in uh, post-transition period, <laughs> and uh, and this has probably explanations. So we can uh, we can provide many additional arguments why this can be so because uh, because uh, on the job training is very limited in all these countries uh and uh, central eastern european central eastern european countries is um, incidence of once job training is higher than in, in russia or in uh, Kyrgyzstan or Armenia but still it's very low compared to let's say the Nordic countries, Germany, Austria or whatever. Um, and also it reflects the uh, structure of jobs because coming back to The first puzzle, I said that the problem is not in unemployment per se, how it's formally measured. The problem is what uh, our employment is about. And if our jobs are bad, if they are very simple, if they don't, uh, to work there, doesn't assume that you have to learn all the time, then uh, the flat, uh, then we get this very flat uh, profile. So it's uh, a reflection of uh, the structure of jobs we have uh, in this country. Mm, and uh, finally, the third puzzle, probably I have no time, but I will be sure. Short. Short. Why is the country uh, so rich in human capital has so low level productivity? So uh, here we have a fraction of population and age 2564 64, this tertiary education, <coughs> both types of tertiary education, mm-hmm. um, and this is GDP per capita uh, uh, measured um, as uh, purchasing power, and uh, we see positive, positive relationship. Uh, and Russia is out there. So it has a uh, fr- fraction of uh, tertiary research and education, uh, almost 57 percent, uh, like in Canada. But of course, in terms of productivity, GDP uh, per capita, there is a huge gap between these two countries. And uh, Russia is much higher. So uh, very mediocre performance here, and fantastic, there. Uh, and uh, you know that there is correlation between, I'm not saying causality, it's a special issue, but there is at least correlation between uh, level of educational attainment and uh, GDP per capita. So uh, richer countries, they are educa- have very educated population, and uh, have b- better having better educated population, countries are richer. So this is one conventional So uh, again, how to explain this? Uh, first, poor measurement. But uh, as to measurement, GDP measurement, um, various productivity measures are quite consistent. And even if you take gas and uh, oil out we will get even lower productivity uh, because uh, oil and gas produces 25% of GDP, but provides only 5% of working hours. So very small input and uh, labor input and very large contribution in the top of it. Um, uh, Another explanation supply side, human capital is not as great as conventional data structures. So probably uh, this measures how many people uh, say nothing so at least um, schooling is not learning uh, having uh, many years in school it doesn't mean that people have learned a lot and on the demand side as well that the human capital is underutilized, underutilized and it's a limited use and uh, actually uh, what uh, my first puzzle says that uh, that's the same that uh, can be exactly uh, part of the story because people work in very primitive jobs uh, these jobs don't uh, produce much uh, they are low productive and uh, even if people have human capital uh, given uh, the rule use it or lose it if Human capital and your skills are not used; they are lost. So that that can be, and if you look at education, uh, we have many many problems. It's underfunded, mediocre, uh, and then we have very mediocre performance tests. Human capital of adults is hard to measure, and uh, when we look at level of education. So having higher education, it means that people got education uh, many years ago, but what happens with their human capital is not clear. In our decomposition, it shows that uh, uh, much of this is obsolete. Much of this obsolete. This cohort, ethic, it reflects obsolence of human capital or much of the human capital. Yeah or uh, can be not right mix of skills because uh, for productive, to be productive, people need a mixture of hard and soft skills and soft skills is a problem. Even if they are very good engineers, but they don't have, uh, uh, don't have um, uh, uh, soft skills, uh, they are hardly employable or they are employable and very bad. Uh, bad, mm, bad jobs, and this is uh, about uh, life cycle of skills, uh, strong start and weak uh, renewal. So, this is uh, the first picture I already uh, shown. Yeah, this is Russia, so and this is uh, also GDP per capita, and this is participation in uh, on-the-job training, or we can say life, le- life, life long learning related to employment not just I'm disc- I'm I'm, I'm uh, in my in, uh, free time I'm, I I uh, study art medieval art or I study music or whatever only uh, job related, and this is it so uh, having very high level of uh, very high proportion of people with diplomas, these diplomas are not supported over over the life, And uh, this can be additional explanation. So low training means that uh, skills are not updated. They are not upgraded, they become outdated, wrong mix of skills, simple technologies. It means that much of the human capital is not used and uh, why a little training it's uh, I, I will not I, I will not uh, go into details uh, but uh, I will just show this uh, about skills uh, what kind of skills the economy needs and he can use data from uh, 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 vacancy uh, online vacancy job boards you uh, have uh, almost 4 million vacancies 4 million vacancies and we see that what is needed first of all these are social skills and second go occupational but mid level not high level but mid level a good mechanic it means good plumber or whatever. And uh, high level skills are in very limited demand. Very limited demand. And this reflects also composition of jobs. This reflects uh, employment structure which uh, doesn't require uh, human capital of high level and doesn't provide room for supporting, maintaining and upgrading. These and of course, this also relates to productivity. So, uh, are these three stories somehow interconnected? I think so, and I tried to, you know, to uh, make these links uh, uh, visible. Uh, the first uh, one gives some clues for explaining the other Keeping high employment seems to large low pre- thanks to large low productivity job pool and large low productivity job pool uh, uh, makes its own contribution into low aggregate productivity and low GDP per capita. And human capital constraints and excessive employment, they contribute to this picture as well. So uh, here probably,